I, uh, I grew up as a son of a paint and body shop man. My dad had a shop, a body shop for 50 years. And uh, I remember his hands. His hands. I mean, I was just standing here thinking about it, and I just want to get broke up and cry. He's passed away a year and a half ago, and and um, I don't get to see his hands anymore. I don't get to shake his hand anymore. But what I remember about my dad's hands is that they were coarse and calloused from paint and body work. I, I know I shook hands with somebody a while back, and they said, you got preacher hands. Yeah, they're not callous. Maybe the tips of my finger where I type on my computer. But um, I was was just thinking about how that calluses happen. Calluses happen with um, a lot of movement, a lot of um, abrasive things. And you know what? toughens our hands up. It toughens up whatever is being pushed against. And I remember in his shop, I would go in and do what they called water blocking, blocking out a, a uh, where they put Bondo in and stuff like that. So you'd have to go and make sure it's smooth. And I remember doing that until I had no fingerprints. And I could have robbed a bank then. But that's that abrasive, constant movement brings calluses. And I think about the world that we live in right now, the political world that we live in, the um, world news, the global uh, stuff that's going on, the, you know, what, whatever they call it, recession, inflation, whatever they call those things, those things that are rubbing against our hearts. And I find that people in this day and time have calloused hearts. And we need to let those calluses go. I know the things come against us, and I know that we can get pretty calloused at things. But God wants you to be pliable and have your heart open and ready to receive. Not that it has to go through a bunch of calluses. It's got to be softened up. Because what God wants to do more than anything is leave his fingerprints on your heart. And if our hearts are calloused, he can't do that. So today I wanna I wanna I want us to get rid of the calluses on our hearts. I want us to do that. And, and I don't know how else to do it, but you but just let those things go. I know it was a, when I was a kid, but don't judge me. Um, but when I was a kid and did have a whole lot of calluses from working in the body shop or, you know, riding my motorcycle or whatever, I'd get calluses and then I would take a pocket knife and go, you know, kind of trim them off. It's just a kid thing. It was fun. But what I know is that God wants to bring a surgical tool into your life and begin to shave those calluses off and get rid of those things. Soften your heart. Make your heart pliable again. So I don't know how else to start that, but to say we've got to let some things go. we got to let these things go that, that the world rubs against us. So here's what I want you to do. I want, I want, I want you to just do a breathing exercise with me, all right? I learned this from Lynette because she's good at this. She'll say, just take a deep breath in, hold it, and then let it go. So I want you to do that. Would you do that with me this morning? Here we go. One, two, three. Deep breath in. Hold it. Let it go. How does that feel? How does that feel? That feels good, don't it? Do it again. One, two, three.
that stuff off of you. You know, it'll, it'll be waiting for you when you get outside these doors. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to begin to breathe through it. Breathe through it. Whenever you feel that callous, you feel that hardness in your heart, breathe through it. Call on the name of Jesus. Call on Jesus. Give him your word. Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much this day. And and God, I thank you for what you're going to do in this place today. Father, we come expecting today for you to move on our hearts. Father, whatever you need to do to get through and put your imprint upon our hearts so that today, God, we can walk out of here and we can say, I've been touched by God and now I want to touch others with God. I thank you, God. I praise you for all that you do and all that you are. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, would you do something for me? Would you turn around and tell somebody hello? Just uh, greet them in the name of Jesus. Tell them, hey, give them a high five. How are you doing this morning? Hey, it's good to see you. Uh, if you weren't here last week, and I assume there was a lot of people not here last week because we had an empty house last week. Uh, not as many as we have in here today, but if, if um, you didn't come last week, let me be one to say again, Happy New Year. Um, I hope this year is better than any other year that you've ever had. And um, do, you, do you receive that? All right. I, th- I think this is going to be, coming off the last two, this has got to be better. So um, I hope. Amen. Amen. So anyways, um, it's good to see you guys. My name is Darren Gleghorn. I'm the lead pastor here at Cowboy Church. And we just want to say thank you for coming. Um, I had the honor of getting to walk around a little bit before service and, and um, uh, meet some people and meet some people I've never met before. And um, it is so awesome to have you here in this church. And um, I don't know if coming this year is a New Year's resolution to you, but um, if it is, I hope that the church, this the way that we do things around here, um, makes your resolution come to pass. Amen? I, I like, like last week I said, I don't like a resolution or a resolution. I like a new solution. So I pray that God's new solution rests upon you, and today it starts. Amen? Amen. Here's one of the traditions we have around here is that you can be vocal during the message. It does help me. It does help me when you say, amen, pastor. Um, I know that when somebody don't say amen, that I'm stirring your chili a little bit. So (laughs) I think that someone who stirs the chili pot gets to lick the spoon. And, um, and those who want to stir the other pot have to lick the spoon, too. Um, you'll get that later. So um, uh, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want, I want to welcome our Facebook Live crew as well. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Happy New Year to you as well. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, if you would go over to Romans chapter 8. If you don't have your Bible, you can pull it up on your phone in the Uversion app or something like that, or um, just wait a couple of minutes for me to get into the Scripture, and it'll be up on the screen. And so um, we're, we're here to help you out to see the Word of God. I have friend, pastor friends that says, you know, if you're not carrying the paper Bible, then you're just basically going to hell. <laughs> I'm kidding. They don't think that. They just think that you should. I, I like the paper Bible, but we put it up on the screen because we know some people don't carry that. And if it's your, you know, you're, you're new to church and things like that, you may not have a Bible. So if you don't have one, we have some in the bookstore. This is a commercial. Um, you can dial up the bookstore and you can go in there and, and get you a Bible. 
So last week, we started a brand new series. I haven't done series uh, series in a while. It's been a couple of years. I just kind of felt like we was just not the, needing to do a bunch of series. But we're doing. We're starting off this year with a series. Pastor Lynette and I are are going to be ministering this. She's going to be up here next week, carrying on with it. But um, uh, we started a new series last week called the Ecclesia, Ecclesia, and that is a Greek word. Just so that you know, uh, it's not tongues. Um, it's a Greek word. All right. Um, the word, the Greek word ecclesia appears in the New Testament about 118 times. And so if it's appearing that much, it must be pretty important. And um, the first place that that Greek word is recorded, we talked about it last week, is in Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus was asking his disciples, who do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? And Peter answered and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of of the living God. And Jesus said, you know, good job, Peter, high five. You are right on target. And there's no one that could have shown you that except the Father that is in heaven. And then Jesus says this, he says, upon this rock, he was talking about himself, upon this rock and what Peter had said, that he is the Christ, upon the revelation that he is the Christ, is the rock on which our foundation is built. He said, this is the rock which I will build my church. The Greek word for church is ecclesia. And so um, we, we begin to, to talk about that. I, I talked about Jesus saying that and what that meant to be built upon the rock, that, that, uh, that upon the rock that Jesus would build his church. And so that came, that began to happen when you begin to read Acts chapter 2. Jesus dies on the cross, resurrected from the dead. He comes and visit his, visits his disciples for 40 days, downloads into them everything about what they would be doing as apostles, and then he goes to heaven and leaves Peter, James, John, all the disciples there with wondering what this thing is that has just started. There is no blueprint for church. There is no blueprint for ecclesia. There's no, uh, there, there's just no idea. They've never been in this spot before. And so in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost and filled them with the Spirit, Peter stood up and began to preach that Christ is the Son of God. Are you with me? This is where we talk back. Um, so, <laughs> um, so there in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes, downloads into the disciples, and Peter begins to preach. And this is what it says in Acts chapter 2, is that they added to the church daily. They added to the church does that mean that, that Peter, in, you know, in the time b b since Jesus went to heaven and now, it, has he been going to church growth seminars? Has he been going to conferences where other pastors are telling him how to grow? No, there's not a book for it. There's not a blueprint. There's not an instruction manual inside this whole concept. And so... But the Bible says it add, they added to the church or the ecclesia daily. That means that people's lives were being changed and they become a part of the ecclesia, not the brick and mortar building, but the body of Christ, the body of Christ. Amen? So these are just, just people. So the, the definition of ecclesia, the, the, like the Strong's Concordance definition, means, ecclesia means an assembling of Christians gathered together for worship. Look at your neighbor and say, ecclesia. So the word ecclesia is a compound word, ek. E-K, 
is, it means out of or from, and kaleo, which goes into the uh, klesia part of things, is called by name. So we are called out by name. That's what the church is. You being here today means that there's somewhere that God looked on you and said, Bill, I need you to go to church this morning. (laughs) Darren, you need to go to church this morning. I said, I don't want to. He says, you're the pastor. You got to (laughs) go. My wife said that too. She says, you got to get up and go. (laughs) Darren, get up. See, she called me out by name. But the cool thing about being called out by name is that in John chapter 10, verse 3, it says that Jesus calls his sheep by name. If you call yourself a Christian, you are calling yourself a Jesus follower. And you're following Jesus not because you're so good, but you're following Jesus because he's so good. And he's the one that called you out by name and called you to be a part of the ecclesia. So when we make decision like a decision like today to come to church, that we are a gathering of called out people. And, and that's what the church is, is a gathering of called out people. So we're going we're gonna to push into this Romans chapter 8 a little bit. And if you've ever read the book of Romans, it's, it's probably, besides James, probably one of my favorite books. I love it because it's deep. I love it because there's a lot of technical things that the Apostle Paul put in there. I love it because uh, especially chapter 8. Chapter 8 is one of the most phenomenal chapters in the Bible. And I encourage you, if you've never read it or you've just breezed over, it's been a while or whatever, go and read Romans chapter 8 this week. I'm going to read a lot of it to you this morning, but go, go read it. It is phenomenal. It is so good because the the... Chapter 8 is a purpose-driven, I believe it's a purpose-driven chapter that will help us collectively as a body of Christ, but personally, it'll, it'll send you into another realm. It's so good. I love Romans chapter 8. So if you're there, I'm going to read this morning out of the Passion Bible. This is Lynette's favorite Um, You know, I used to call the Amplified Version the Woman Bible because it's just a little more amplified. (laughs) She used to be really amplified, but now she's passionate, (laughs) which is still a little amplified, but um, that's why she she loves the Passion Bible now. And so I'm going to read these things from the Passion. I got a long way to go in a short time to get there, so we need to get on with it. Quit quit being so smart-alecky, right? All right, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 18. This is from the Passion Translation. It says this, I am convinced, the Apostle Paul is writing, he says, I am convinced that any suffering we endure is less than, noth- less than nothing compared to the magnitude of glory. That is, about, that, that is about to be unveiled within us. The entire universe is standing on tiptoe yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. That's you. That's me. Amen? It says, for against its will, the universe itself has had to endure the empty futility resulting from the consequences of human sin. But now, with eager expectation, all creation longs for freedom from its slavery to decay and to experience with us the wonderful freedom coming to God's children. It's a good place to say amen. Amen. To this day, we are aware of the universal agony and groanings of creation, as uh, as as if it were in the contradictions of labor for childbirth. Man, I can go off there. (laughs) but that's not where we need to go. All right. Um, And it's not just creation. We who have already experienced the first fruits of the Spirit also inwardly inwardly groan as as we passionately long to experience the full status of God's sons and daughters, including our physical bodies being transformed. Amen. Amen. That was a good place. 
For this is the hope of our salvation. But hope means that we must trust and wait for what is still unseen. For why would we need to hope for something that we already have? So because our hope is set on what, what is yet to be seen, we patiently keep on waiting for the fulfillment. Let me pray over this real quick. Father, I thank you so much for your word. And I thank you that when we read the word, when we hear the word, that when we experience your word, that, Father, that you add your blessing to it. So, Father, wherever it is in our life that we need blessing from your word, from what we just read, Father, I pray in Jesus' name that we will see that blessing come to pass in our life. We thank you. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So I don't know about you, but for me, even uh, being a pastor and, and reading the book of Revelation, and I've read Ezekiel and Daniel and Zechariah, all these books that point to the end of time, when, when I read these things, I begin to get a sensing that we are in the end times. This world, things, I mean... World news continually tells us every day that the world is unraveling before us. It's unraveling. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's a, the, we're, we're seeing the end times begin to unfold in front of our eyes. Do you agree? And, and so um, here in Romans chapter 8, This, what he's talking about, talking about the hope, talking about the glory of the sons and daughters as things are being revealed. I see here that that the Apostle Paul is setting you and I up for a singular purpose. I mean, to be a Christian and to to have the um, calling as a Christian to do Uh, what he's commanded us to do in the gospel, to preach the gospel, to minister the gospel, to have the gospel ready to flow out of us at any time. I mean, it doesn't just happen in church, in a church building on a Sunday. It can happen in Walmart. It can happen in Home Depot. It can happen in in the middle of the park. But God is wanting us to tap into those things. and, And so... He's setting us up here for, for a singular purpose. Look here again at verse 23. Man, I should have worn my glasses. There it is. Look here in verse 23, and I'm, I just want to read th- this to you. It says, And it's not just creation. We who have already experienced the first fruits of the Spirit also inwardly groan as we passionately long to experience our full status of God's sons and daughters, including our physical bodies being transformed. Verse 24, for this is the hope of our salvation. This is the hope of our salvation. He says, when when he says that word hope, the word hope is not, a just simple wishing. Hey, we're going to go to the restaurant after a while. You want to go? Boy, I sure hope so. <laughs> I go to go to the store. You want to meet me there? I, I hope so. Man, I hope that this this day is over with soon. We we use this word hope very loosely in our language in our English language. But the hope that he's talking about here in the Bible is not a simple wishing that something would happen, but hope is joyful and confident expectation. It is a pleasurable anticipation. And the one, the the definition I like the best is it is neck stretched out eagerness. I mean, sitting your lazy boy is not neck stretched out. But when you get up and you begin to expect something, you begin to hope for something, the biblical kind of hope is neck stretched out. When Lynette and I first got married, <clears throat> we lived down in central, east Texas, central to east Texas. And 
we had these big snapping turtles. Big old flat snapping turtles. Ever seen one of those ugly things? And when we would drive somewhere, and, and we would see these big snapping turtles crossing the road. We saw several flat ones. <laughs> but when they were alive, going across the road, they didn't just take their time. They stretched their neck out and began to do this. I remember one time we was driving from Madisonville to Crockett, Texas, and, and about 30 miles, and there was this one big old snapping turtle walking, going across the road. And Lynette said, stop and get it off the road. I said, that sucker will bite my hand off. So I just need to get it off the road. I feel so sorry for it. So I pulled over. Whatever the queen wants, the queen gets. Her command is my wish. That's what I tell her all the time. She'll ask me to do something. I'll say, your command is my wish. So I pulled the truck over. I started searching. I didn't want to touch the thing. I mean, this thing was that big around, as big as a wheel. And so I went over, and I was looking through the ditch, and I found a five-gallon plastic bucket lid. And I went over, and that thing was hissing at me. And I'm standing in the middle of the highway. And I put that thing down there, and, you know, I kicked him on to the, to the lid, and I got him to the other side. We got in the truck, and I turned around and looked out the back window, and he took off the other way. I didn't tell her that, but he did. Why? Because he had a hope to get somewhere. Neck stretched out. This is what Jesus is telling us here. This is what the Apostle Paul is telling us here in the Word. He said, you know, you've got to have some hopeful joy with the neck stretched out. Amen? Amen. So if, if hope is at the foundation of our salvation, as what he said here, what does that do? When, when it's a part of my salvation, it's a part of your salvation, it's a part of your salvation, your salvation, your salvation then that hope is what link us all together into a body, into an ecclesia. It's that hope that links us together. It is, it is what forms the, the ecclesia. Uh, in, in the New King James Version, this verse 24, that little statement there, says in the New King James, we were saved in this hope. That's how we were saved. The word saved there means uh, rescued from danger and destruction. So we were rescued from danger and destruction. Like the Apostle Paul was writing here. He said that, you know, we live in and are a part of a world that is groaning for the glory of God to come and heal the land. We're a part of that land. We, I mean, we're just bags of dirt is all we are. So if somebody calls you dirt bag, say thank you. <laughs> because, because we're just bags of dirt. You know, God got Adam and he just put together a big old mud ball and breathed into it and Adam became alive and that's who we're sons and daughters of in this world, right? So we're just dirt bags. That wasn't even in my notes. Um, but we are the ecclesia based upon the hope that we've been given through salvation. So he goes on here in, in uh, verse 24. He says, For this is the hope of our salvation, but hope means that we must trust and wait for what is still unseen. For why would we need to hope for something that, is, that we already have? So because our hope is set on what is yet to be seen... We patiently keep on waiting for its fulfillment. As we, as the church or the ecclesia, move forward in time, it is the ecclesia that drives that hope. We have been given that hope. Now we drive that hope in an unraveling world. Several years ago, I, I heard a, a minister named Bill Hybels. Bill Hybels was a he had one of the um, most attended churches in America. It's like membership was like twenty some thousand, 
but people went there. He's also the founder of Global Leadership, uh, uh, a global leadership corporation or something like that. Anyways, um, he said this. Bill Heibel said this several years ago. He said, the local church is the hope of the world. The local church. And that could mean a building, of course, but you're here this morning, and if you're here this morning, that makes you local. <laughs> Not loco, but local. It makes you, and, and, and Bill Heibel says, you know, coin the phrase that the local church is the hope of the world. Now, when I read that or when I hear that, that um, quote that Bill Heibel said, it, it's simple. It's a simple quote, but it is so profound. Every time that I visit that, uh, that, that quote, it is profound to me because the local church is not just a, not just a brick and mortar, mortar building. It's, it's not that, but it's the ecclesia. Hope is how and why we are saved. Hope is how and why we're saved. Hope is the essence of the ecclesia. It is our essence. It's what is built in us. When, when, when we ask Jesus to come into our life, we're bringing in the rock of salvation into our life. And when we have that, now we have on the inside of us the essence of hope. And that essence of hope that, that causes us to become a part, uh, when we give our lives to Jesus, that, that hope is the essence that makes us a part of a story that's bigger than us. but it also begins to leak into our story. It begins to push over into our story because the story that you have and the story that I have uh, through hope is the link that brings each one of us together to form the ecclesia. It, 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 it demonstrates that we're different. Now look at your neighbor. They're different. And they think you're different. But it's not just because we're different because we're different. We're different because we have something different than the rest of the world who don't, who, who don't know Jesus yet. In, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 20, in the Passion Translation as well, it says this, No matter what, I will continue to hope and passionately cling to Christ so that he will be openly revealed through me before everyone's eyes. It's that continued hope that brings a revelation or it brings an outer peace, an inside-out peace of the essence of hope, which saved us. Does that make sense? The only way that we can give hope is to live hope. The only way that we can give hope, and that's what God has called us to do. He's called us to give hope. I mean, you watch World News Tonight with Joe Bob Jim Willie, and he is offering no hope. Maybe, just maybe, the last story of the night, after 25 minutes of blah, he might say something really nice. He might, he might give some nice thing that, that you can not cry over. But the only way that we can give hope is to live hope. Living hope translates hope to those who have no hope. Let me say that again. Living hope translates hope 
to those who have no hope. I mean, if you've been given a diagnosis, that's not a lot of hope. I, when I went to the doctor in 2016, and he did all the checking out and saying, you know, he's a, he's a movement doctor and he's going to give me the diagnosis of why my hand is trembling like it is, why my arm is trembling like it is. And, and right off the bat, he says, this is incurable. It's incurable. Oh, thank you. That's a lot of hope. That's nothing for me to look forward to. So thank God I'm a Christian because now I can go to the Word and take the Word, take the Word of God, which is Jesus, and begin to bring hope into my life beyond the diagnosis. Beyond the diagnosis. Because living hope translates hope to those who have no hope. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, um, Jesus, or, uh, Peter writes in, in that, and he says, you know, uh, this is my translation. Um, which is better. Um, Basically, he says, be ready to explain the hope that you are living. So if there's something different on the inside of us and somebody comes to you and says, what is different about you? You've got a hope on the inside of you. You've got the essence of who Jesus is. You've got the essence of what the word says you are. And, And Peter is telling us, you've got to be ready to explain the hope that you have, that you've have, that you've been given. In other words, I like this. God just gave me this yesterday as I was going over this. In other words, when we're high, welcome to Colorado. No, listen, listen, it's not, not that kind of high. But when you're high on hope, people will want the high that you have. And when people want the high that you have, they're going to ask you, where do you get your good stuff? You become a hope dealer. When you're high on hope and somebody wants your high, you become a hope dealer. And you're dealing that hope. I mean, you don't have to go to the dispensary to get this hope. I am the dispensary of hope. I am the hope dealer. What kind of hope do you need? Do you need healing hope? I got it over here in this jar. Do you need financial hope? I got some over here in this jar. Do you need relationship hope? Oh, right here. I got this. I got a whole section of this. I become the hope dealer. Hope dealer. Say, I'm a hope dealer. Amen. Amen. Whole room full of hope dealers. So what does, what does living hope look like? I'm so glad you asked. I, I remember in the church that I grew up in, some of y'all probably grew up in the same kind of church, that at the end of service, when the preacher would give the altar call, in other words, he's wanting people to come to the altar to give their life to Jesus, we would sing week after week, week after week, week after week, the old song that starts out, uh, the old hymn that starts out is just as I am without one plea. I mean, Billy Graham did it at the end of every one of his services. Just as I am without one plea. Lord, will you, will you take me just as I am? Jesus will take you just as you are. I, it doesn't matter what you did last night, this morning, last week, growing up, addiction, whatever the case may be, he will take you just as you are. But here's the thing. When hope comes in that salvation, you giving your life to Jesus, when hope comes, Jesus won't leave you just the way that you are. He'll take you the way that you are, but he won't leave you that way. Because hope begins to change our lives. Joyful, confident expectation. It changes us from the inside out. Hope changes us from the inside out. I've heard several times over my life as a Christian 
that people will say, you know, your, your life may be the only Bible that someone else reads. How you live your life. It's not about carrying your Bible and, and walking up to somebody and saying, do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Sure. <laughs> it's, it's not about that. It's about living the Word. And we're all not, all of us are not perfect at it, but all of us are changing that little bit at a time because we are people of hope. We walk with the essence of hope, hope in the word of God. That's what living hope looks like. It's about what happens as Jesus begins to change our lives from the inside out and we begin to have a smile on our face and not like we're sucking on lemons. So with that, I, I wanted to give you this morning, I want to give you three characteristics of living hope. These are this probably not all the characteristics, but this will give you a good place to start. I want to give you three characteristics of what living hope looks like. And the first one I'm going to give you is the word genuine. Y'all, we got to be genuine. I, I see people that are, I don't, Christian, I see Christians that are, leading double lives. And to a degree, we all live a double life at some point as God's working all these things out of you. You're not perfect. But the, the Christians who live in a double life, that they're, um, you know, they, they get around people and they become super spiritual. But when they go home, they're griping at their kids and abusing their spouses and all those kinds of things. You know, you know what I'm talking about? The, these double, you got to be genuine. You can't be one way here and another way here. You got to be who you are. You've, you've got to live the hope that God has given you. And, and so you got to be genuine. The word genuine means made in a way that faithfully resembles the, re, the original. M- genuine is made in a way that faithfully resembles the original. God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are real. They're real. They're not made up. They're not, you know, some people say that they don't believe in God and all that kind of stuff. But the the fact of the matter is, is that God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are real. They're genuine. Their voice, their touch, their encounter cannot be coerced or forced. In other words, we can't just go and talk Jesus when... We want to and not talking that way anywhere else, you know. We, we, we've got we've to live this genuine thing. Jesus is genuine. We need to be genuine with our salvation that we've been given. Amen? The only way that we can resemble the original is through hope. Because when we read the Bible and when we read what Jesus did, we read about the apostles, we read about Moses, we read about David, we, all these awesome people of the Bible, there is a hope that God is showing us what your life can be if we'll live in the essence of hope toward him and be genuine. Because genuine authenticity has got to be a part of our lives. You don't have to change your personality. God, God received your personality the way it is, but he'll improve upon it, I promise you. Amen? In, in John chapter 1, verse 4, it says, In him, or in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus was life, and his life was the light of mankind. Make sense? Then Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, he says, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to God. So carrying his light is that light of hope that people see and go, I want what you got. You've got a light about you that I want and that I need. And and Jesus said, so let it shine. Same church I grew up in. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You know what? We're the little light. It's not your little finger, E.T. 
It is. It, we are that. Maybe it's God's ET finger because he says we're the hands of God, right? Hands and feet of God. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to go with me, all right? Being genuine is about reflecting the image of Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 29, it says that we are to be conformed to the image of God's Son, Jesus. We are to be conformed to the image of his son. So how do we do that? We do that by re- getting, getting into the Bible. The, the new t- 60 plus times in the New Testament, there are words that say, in Christ, in him, in whom, and a variation of those things. 60 times it tells us that when you're in Christ, this is what you're going to begin to look like. If you'll purpose to be in Christ, it will begin to change you into the image of his son, Jesus. God's not coming back for people that he don't recognize. And as we put on Jesus, as we, um, as we are in him, in Christ, in whom we begin to take on his way of genuineness. Amen? His way of authenticity. So that's how that you become genuine is by taking what the Bible says and beginning to change our lives toward that. Number two, first one is genuine. The second one is friendly. Friendly. The word friendly means kind and pleasant. Good and affectionate. Some of the meanest people in this world are Christians. Nasty people. Because they feel entitled with their who they are and they can just be mean to you. Thank you, honey. It, you know, it's, it's no wonder that people don't want to go to your church. It's no wonder why people say that church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. You know what the word hypocrite is? The word hypocrite in the Bible means a stage actor. Somebody who's just acting that way. Pretending, yeah. It's a stage actor. And some people are good at it. But that's the reason people don't want to be a part of your church is because you're mean. I ain't looking at anybody in particular. This is one of those methods, this is one of those parts where you kind of look and preach like this. <laughs> is he talking about me? Did you have a fly on the wall for me? Are you bugging my house? It's no wonder people don't want to be around Christians or to go to church. Because in one in their meanness, one side, they're they're cussing you with the y'all need Jesus t shirt on. Cussing you out with y'all need Jesus. Or they're flipping you off with you know, with, with a bumper sticker that, that says, Jesus is my co-pilot. That's obvious. He needs to be your pilot, not your co-pilot. Maybe you'll get rid of that finger. And especially if they have an N3C church sticker on their window. That's the reason I don't put one on mine. I'm the pastor in this. Some things just might go off, you know. I don't feel mature enough to put an N3C sticker on my truck just yet, but I'm working on it. I, I want to take it one step more personal. Can I take it one more step more personal? This church used to be known as a friendly church. I mean, I, it's so cool. I get notes in the in the offering. We would meet people, and they say, "This is the friendliest church ever." That made me feel good. But here lately, I've been getting that church. Your church ain't friendly at all. That hurts. Maybe it's because I need a sticker on my truck. <laughs> the the. Some some say that, that we're not friendly. And I hate to hear that, and I hope that that's not true. But if that is true, 
Let me be the one up here saying, I apologize to you if you felt like you weren't treated well here. Um, Proverbs 18 says that, that if you want friends, you got to show yourself friendly. I don't know about you. I want friends. I, I don't have many friends, but I need more. So I got to be friendly. If I want friends, I got to show myself friendly, right? So this is the challenge I want to put out to you today. And, and just as the body of Christ, I, I, I need you to find somebody that you don't know, that you've never met, that you've never seen before, and I need you to walk up to them and just say, thank you for coming to church today. Not, not right now. We'll wait until we dismiss, and then you <laughs> can do that. But I, I want to be known as a friendly church again. I don't want to be known as a ch- church that has a bunch of cliques, a bunch of people that don't care about other people. We love people. I love this church, and I want you to love this church too. Amen. So, uh, because hope is the joyful and confident expectation. Did you hear joyful? You can't be mean and have hope at the same time. It's got to be joyful. Man, put a smile on your face. Say hi to somebody. Don't get your little lemons out and suck on them and walk past people. I've never heard anyone say that I want to become a Christian so that I can be a jack wagon to somebody. <laughs> never heard anybody say that. They want, to be, they want to be a Christian because they want joyful, confident expectation of hope that is on our lives. I didn't run that pastor before I said it. In, in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. And some of these I didn't put up on the screen because I'm just taking some parts out of them. That sounds terrible, don't it? You can't, you can't leave the Bible out. Anyways, Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says, be kindly affectionate to one another. Did you know that the word kindness is a characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit? If you have that, if you have the fruit of the Spirit, if you're, if you're walking in the fruit of the Spirit, you'll be kind. Kindness is a part of that character. The Spirit of God on the inside of you is kind. It's kind. So, Pastor, when can I be mean? I know there's going to you'll, you'll have those days where you think that you want to be mean or you're frustrated with people or frustrated in life and all that kind of stuff. But um, it, you don't have the right to be mean. But you don't, have, you, you don't need to be a doormat either. There's nothing wrong with being assertive. Being assertive is not mean. Being assertive is being serious about where you're going and what you need to be doing, but don't be mean about it. Amen. 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 One big amen out of that. So we need to be friendly. You know, I love this ecclesia. I love you people, and, and you always smile at me. Smile at somebody else too. Make yourself friendly. Because we are saved, we are rescued from danger and destruction because of hope. Number three, <clears throat> number three characteristic of the, of the ecclesia is powerful. He's called us to be powerful. He's called us to be genuine. He's called us to be friendly. And he's called us to be powerful. The word power in the Bible, in the New Testament, is the, word, the Greek word dunamis. It's where we get our word, our English word, dynamite. Dynamite is an, or dunamis is an inherent explosive power in our lives. It's the power that is residing in something by virtue of its nature. See, if, if we're, if we're Christ followers, if we're Jesus followers, we have this hope on the inside of us that there is power, that the same miracle working power that Jesus had, we have. It's there. It's on the inside. It's inherent with who Jesus is. When you get born again, you get some power. When you have Holy Spirit on the inside of you, you have power. And so you have this explosive, inherent explosive power as a Christian. 1 Corinthians 2, 4 says, 
The Apostle Paul writes and he says, And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. When he preached, there were things that went on. People got saved not because just what he was saying. People got saved because of the power that was on the inside of him. People would get healed. People would get delivered. People would, I mean, just it would change their lives. Miracles, signs, and wonders begin to happen because of the power that was on the inside that came from hope. It works. The power of God works on the inside of us because of hope. It's that, it's that confident expectation. It's that joyful and confident expectation. I was listening to a podcast. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speed it up here because I've got to get done. Um, but I heard this podcast over the last couple of weeks. There's, there's a man. It's a, it's a podcast of a man named uh, David Hogan. David Hogan is a powerful minister, powerful preacher. He's been preaching for years. And he's an eighth-generation preacher. And he said in this deal, he says, when I started out, every time that I laid my hands and prayed for somebody to be healed, they ultimately died. (laughs) Physically, they died. He says, first couple of years of my life, everybody I laid my hands on died. That'd be terrible. He said, I didn't tell them. You know, I didn't tell other people that when I laid hands on them, they died. You know, I didn't tell them that. He said, I just kept laying my hands on people. Now, you know, you have several people die after you've prayed for them. That would kind of give you a little complex, wouldn't it? But at this point in David Hogan's life, in his ministry, he's seen over 300 people raised from the dead. Even though when he started out, they died. They died. They died, they died, but there came a point because of the hope on the inside of him continuing to pray for people that they lived and that the dead got up. I heard a story one time where he was in this village and the chief um, or the missionaries uh, went out to to go into a non-reach people group and they went there and the missionary got executed. They chopped him up. They chopped this guy up and put him in a burlap bag and sent him back to the village. And David Hogan was there and he began to pray over that sack. And that person was put back together and come out of that sack alive. Uh, Y'all sitting there going, what? This was a man who prayed for people when he first started out and they died. This is the power of hope in our lives. Hope brings power. Say, preacher, uh-uh. I don't know what to tell you, but that's cool. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says, Now we have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure that makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. We're just a clay pot. But the power that's on the inside of us is God's power. And we need to open the jar and let his power flow into other lives. You cannot give hope if you don't live hope. Because hope is like hope. The power of hope on the inside of us is like um, a flux capacitor in your DeLorean that will send you into another dimension. Uh, Young people are sitting there going, what? Go watch Back to the Future with Michael J. Fox. You'll understand that the DeLorean, my dad owned a DeLorean at one time, and I thought, man, if I get this thing up to 88 miles an hour, this is what's going to (laughs) happen. The speedometer only went to 85. Anyways, that's what hope is. It's the flux capacitor. It's the power that makes your DeLorean go into time, into another dimension. All right, go watch that movie. Set your hope for miracles and wonders and watch what God will do. Amen. 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 So what would it be like for Northern Colorado Cowboy Church, the the ecclesia, ecclesia, walk 
and explosive miracle power. Every one of us have it. Every one of us have it. So what would it be like when, when we leave out of here that we run into people and we pray for them? And they die. Well, just pick you out another one and go for it. You may end up killing a lot of people, but hey, you'll, you'll get there one day. Because of hope. Ah, that's terrible. So those are the three characteristics of living hope, being genuine, being friendly, and being powerful. Those are the characteristics of hope. Bill Hybel said that the local church is the hope of the world. I want, I want to read to you here what, that, what Jesus told us about being the hope of the world. Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, verse 15 through 18, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues and they will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Jesus said, go into all the world. He didn't say, come to the local church and, and, you know, invite your friends to your church so they can get saved. No, what you got on the inside of you is the hope to help them get saved. They, they ain't going to trust me when they've got you. They ain't going to trust somebody else. Uh, I, man, I, I don't, I've been talking to Jesus, talking to this guy about Jesus. Uh, Pastor, will you come over here and lead him to Jesus? Heck no. You lead them to Jesus. You were impacted by hope. Hope saved you. Give them some hope. Amen. He said, go into all the world. He didn't say, come to the church. He says, you go. You go. That's another old car. Now you go. You go into the world. Because that is what the ecclesia does. That's what the ecclesia does. Amen? We are the ecclesia. The only way to give hope is to live hope. Living hope translates hope so that, that to those who don't have any hope. Can I leave you with this? You, you, all y'all, you are the ecclesia. You are the building block of who Jesus is building his church upon. You are the hope of the world. Amen. Let me pray for you and we'll get out of here. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for showing us that we are the hope of the world. Thank you, God, for making us the ecclesia. Thank you so much for, for giving to us the ability, the direction, the, the, um, the, the grace and the mercy that we, through the salvation that Jesus has given us, become hope dealers. That we have a hope. And we, have, we are ready, as we live hope, we are ready to give hope. So, Father, this day, I, I pray that everyone in this room, everyone watching uh, by, pod, uh, by uh, Facebook or, or listening by podcast or something like that, right where you are, if you are a Christ follower, if you are a Jesus follower, right where you are, understand that you've been saved by hope, because of hope. And hope is deposited on the inside of you. Now, Father, I pray as they get that revelation that when they go out of here, God, that they will begin to bring hope to this world that is unraveling in front of us. Father, I pray over anyone who has never received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Father, I pray that right now that they would say yes to a relationship with you through your son Jesus by the Holy Spirit and that they would be deposited hope on the inside of them. 
Father, I thank you so much for that. Now, if you're sitting here today and you've never had a relationship with Jesus, he is looking at you eye to eye right now. He is looking at you. He's calling you by name. He's opened the gate. He's opened the door for you to step into a new realm. And it's that hope that he has that's being transferred to you. So like Jesus said to everyone, his disciples, would you come and follow me? Jesus is calling you by name and saying, would you come and follow me? And if your answer is yes, today you have just hit 88 miles an hour and you have been launched, exploded into another dimension. It's called the kingdom of heaven. If you say yes to him, you are launched into the kingdom of heaven. Now watch what God will do with that hope as he begins to change you from the inside out. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that that would settle upon the hearts and set up like concrete in their lives. You as the rock would set up like concrete on the inside of them and that they now become the church, the ecclesia, the hope of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. If, if you receive Jesus Christ today as your Lord and Savior, when we get done with this whole thing this after, before we leave this afternoon, I, that, that really tips some people off right there. We're not, we're not done. Yeah, we're done in just a second. But we'll have a prayer team over here. If you gave your life to Jesus, come and talk to them. Come and tell them what you did. With that, I want to invite Miss Christy Bouchong up here. She's got a little note for you, and she will... Um, hand it over to be closed out when she gets done.